and welcome to Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Final Fantasy XIV Q survivor Nadia Oxford. I'm too powerful for Kat. I have eliminated her. She had to flee. With me now, for now, is my co-host, Eric. Hi, Eric. For now, that's definitely not making me feel uncomfortable <laughs> about my chances of surviving this. You amuse me, so you may stay for a while. I... I was making a joke when I when I told my dad that I had joined the blood god. I I joked that y'all were the high priestesses, and I was like, I gotta either become a priestess or or you know like become the jester. It's gonna be <laughs> one of the two. And in the Discord this week, uh, they started talking about because apparently people want to make an emoji for me in the Discord, and that's right. very kind of y'all. That that means a lot to me uh. so much. It meant a lot until y'all started saying maybe we should make him Bienfu. And I was like, no. <laughs> if I'm going to be a Tails mascot, please repeat. Uh, oh, yes. Let me be the cool smoking dog and not the mascot that everyone hates. <laughs> so, <laughs> What does that particular mascot look like? I'm trying to remember which one that was. It's like all... I love Berseria and I intentionally block Bienfu out of my memory of it <laughs> because Bienfu's terrible. It's like a little thing with a top hat and it's purple, I think. And wow. It's it's the worst. Bienfu sucks and is one of the worst parts of that game. So uh yeah, please, please not that. I'd take Morgana over Bienfu. All right. That's that's the level of distaste I have for Bienfu. I would say be Hoodle. Oh, I love who I, I love like Hoodle. the king, the king owl, king owl that you meet in in the owl park or whatever. Because every time you bring owls back, he does this like pose where he just t poses on you <laughs> and then spins into the air, and it's majestic. He's asserting his dominance. I, I love. I can't wait. We're going to get to talk about Tales of Arise this week. That's right. Big yeah. win for Tales fan. <laughs> a huge win for Tales fan. We got enormous recognition this time. Yeah, we got mentioned once. <laughs> uh, this is actually a very special episode because, on top of Cat kind of not being here, uh, we have a special guest, Valexia. At the time of this recording, we've already had our, our conversation with Valexia. It was about um, LGBTQ plus representation in video games and what's good, what's bad, what the future is looking like. Eric, I think we have some pretty cool insights going on there. It was it was excellent. We talked about everything, you know, the good, the bad. I think, you, you know, stereotypes on both ends are immediately coming to mind <laughs> for games that have done it well and not done it well. But I think one of the main takeaways we had was uh, that it is improving and that the more we get, you know, writers in there who can speak to that stuff and the more we get more experiences in development studios into publishers into localization teams the more that this stuff gets better and these characters can become full-on interesting lovable characters like the ones we have right now shout outs to thanatos oh thanatos is so cute i was gonna say i thought you're gonna give a shout out to that little purple thing you were just talking about no not bianfu <laughs> <laughs> right into the sun iron bowl is gonna help me launch bianfu into the sun everyone deserves a lover but he only deserves the sun sun scalding surface apparently he says his romance will be with the tip of my boot as it launches him into the sea <laughs> tip of his boot to his butt before we get started uh let's do a little bit of housekeeping thank you for taking the time to listen to us if you like what you hear please support us on patreon.com forward slash blood pod we have tons and tons of rpg and rpg adjacent material that you can get early and or exclusively at the five and ten dollar level including our final fantasy 14 podcast charlene dropouts oh my god Final Fantasy XIV, what can I say? I'm in the middle of Endwalker, so my mind is just kind of scattered today. Sorry, everybody. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but actually, we have um, some really cool content planned for the new year, and we will get a lot more into that as the time comes closer. But uh, yeah, we're going to have new shows, new everything, new Patreon tier as well. Please look forward to it. Okay, first and foremost, do not fear. I Oops, did not kill Kat. She is simply moving. Oh, there we go. Uh, she will be with us <laughs> next window. Jesus week, Christ. I'm assuming, provided everything goes well. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really wondering how she did because when I was podcasting with her the past few weeks, I've noticed that her recording room wasn't packed up. And I'm like, oh, I guess you're mm-hmm, leaving us the last mm-hmm. minute. I meant to ask her about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not here to backseat move or anything <laughs> like that. But I did have a moment where I was looking at the background of one of our because we have our webcams on yeah, when yeah. we, you know, we we podcast with the webcams on. And uh, I was looking at Kat's background. I was like, isn't she moving pretty soon? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so best of luck to Kat. Uh, you know, moving, as everyone knows, is incredibly unstressful. It's actually relaxing. Oh, it's great. And, I love it. Yeah. Some people move just to move. You know, they'll pack their whole place up, move all the boxes out, move right back in. It's a nice way to spend a Saturday. It's a good, you know, way, to, so. a good way to exercise your muscles. I remember when I was <laughs> younger, I was really too poor to, to pay anybody to help me move. So my dad was helping me and I'm like, oh, please, Jesus, don't give him a heart attack for my stupid bullshit. And also my brother and his friend. And my brother at the time mm-hmm. used to load airplanes. Now he repairs them. But at, back in the day, he used to load airplanes. So he had a lot of muscles. And I made the mistake of getting him some beer and... Um, <laughs> Oh, God. I was in a basement apartment. Now, I don't know if how common basement apartments are in your part of the world, but... Oh, no. Well, not here, because yeah. in Texas, you have to, like, use dynamite to make holes <laughs> in the ground, so... <laughs> but the point is, he had to carry all my stuff up like a flight of stairs, and the first thing my mm. father said was, don't break this window in the door, and what's the first thing he does is he breaks the window breaks in the, the door. Window the door, yeah. So I'm like covering it with the curtains hoping my landlady doesn't mm-hmm. see it because she was actually nice i liked it very much but i could not afford to replace a window um did you offer the beer before you started moving sure <laughs> that nadia that's a rookie mistake number one that's what what do you i i can't imagine being like mm, i'm gonna have this tasty beer and then do lots of heavy physical labor afterwards <laughs> it was a good time that was a really oh god i hate moving so much it's so expensive so mm-hmm. I have not moved in a long time. I've been at this apartment for as many years. Thank God for rent control. I just don't mm-hmm. foresee myself going anywhere soon. All right. So moving on to the really fantastic display RPGs had at last night's Game Awards. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I'm pretty sure that every commercial that was played during the Game Awards was longer than the award for Best RPG, which was Tales of Arise. Congratulations. Very good. Uh, too bad it's all a farce. I'm really sorry. It's uh, as I tweeted on social media, Tales of Arise winning an RPG of the Year award for the Tales series and it just being mentioned in passing once is the most <laughs> Tales the thing most, that could have happened. That's the most <laughs> Tales ass thing that's ever happened. It finally I, gets the recognition it deserves and it's over there. I saw and I saw so many people like even in my replies on social media were like, oh, yeah, Tales of Arise. Yeah, of course, that like <laughs> it was it was halfway like Tales fans trying to be like, we finally got a drop of recognition and then everyone just downplaying it incredibly. So, yeah, no, we're still long suffering, but <laughs> it's going to keep us humble for the next, you know, five years. At least you're another you're, Tales a, game. <laughs> you're a Keeley footnote. You've, you've gone up the ranks a bit. I I love Tales of Arise. You know, it definitely has its issues, but uh, I was really happy with it. So it getting recognition was something. Also, the category that it was in, 
I like I will be the one to admit that it was not a particularly stacked category because I don't think there was a chance of SMT winning it because I just didn't think that people were going to have enough time. No. Like, when you when you think about how the game awards operate, the voting is done. the The nominations come from the I think it's 103 or something outlets and influencers, yeah, yeah. and then there's another vote after that uh, that then gets weighted with like a judge and jury panel and then the media and then the fan vote. And it's all weighted differently. There's, they have an explanation for it on the site, but uh, the more you dilute a pool, the more likely you are to land on a game that is going to be nobody's clear and away favorite. (laughs) Maybe. And I definitely think there were probably a few outlets that saw that list and were like tales of rise hundred percent. Absolutely. But I think for a lot of games, uh, it, it was more kind of what is generally among the populace accepted as a quality enough video game to win. And that's why I was honestly surprised. And you saw a lot of the predictions coming in saying that Resident Evil Village was going to win. And I was like, yeah, because it's not I don't know anyone, maybe like one person I've seen who's like, oh, yeah, Village is my game of the yeah. year. But it's one that everybody liked and everybody played. So it was the one that I was like, yeah, that's probably going to win. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> And and somehow it takes two walks away with it, which I'm, best I've family heard is game. a very good game. Yeah, best family game was weird because that's that's a game where they swear and and talk about mommy daddy stuff, and yeah. it's weird that that got put in the family. I guess like I normally, if it's family game, that shouldn't mean children. No, game, absolutely I guess. not. I know what you mean. Like I don't think that a game should talk down to children ever, but that was definitely a game like according to Rebecca Valentine who was tweeting loud about the whole thing it was hilarious it's really not a game for kids it's it's a couple's game is yeah what I it's would really call it. not meant for kids to process it's really yeah. for adults and the fact that you had a, a list that had like uh, like Super Mario hey look at this game yeah. children Bowser's no. Fury should have been the clear and away favorite the, it's on that a list. perfect family game like it's or just... 12 minutes you know if you really want to go for a literal interpretation <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke that got passed around a bit <laughs> it was a good one uh but yeah, I mean, the Game Awards, if we want to then segue this from from topic one into topic two, which is both of our lead topics tonight are very much the Game Awards. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll say up front, like RPGs of the Game Awards, not really there. Uh, we we got an Elden Ring trailer and we got Final Fantasy VII Remake come into only epic on pc as far as they've announced right now and if the front page listing of that game is to be believed and i personally in my opinion think it is uh 70 wow. for that game uh which is hey that's that's what the price was for integrate on I, PS5, I was gonna say yeah it has integrate as well right yeah, so uh, we're going to start to see publishers try to push the $70 game on the PC side, which I think is not going to go very well, but let's find <laughs> out. Let's find uh, out. Let's, re- let's replace their stuff with Folgers Coffee Crystals. Yeah, and I, I think Game Awards is always a thing that you never want to get your hopes up for. No. Because it's, A, this is a pandemic year, right? Yeah. It's, it's another pandemic year, and game development is hard, and... I liked what Neil Druckmann said when he was on stage. He was like, really, everyone who shipped a game this year should get an award. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. That's... It's a miracle. And so I'm not surprised we didn't see Breath of the Wild 2. I'm not surprised we didn't see the long rumored Chrono Cross remake. Um, I was surprised at some of the other choices that we'll get to in a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was 
I think on the whole, it was a very subdued show in terms of reveals outside of a, a few big surprises that people didn't know were coming. But uh, I, in, in terms of RPG stuff, you know, yeah, I'm very... not surprised that there wasn't much to talk about. No, it, it just, the thing is the game awards, we all know they're a farce. And I don't want to say that because I know that the people <laughs> who get the awards, I think that's great. I think any recognition for them is, is fantastic. But, I mean, hell, shout out to Final Fantasy XIV, best online game. Of course it is. Best community. Of course it is. No big surprises there. I'm really glad for the team. Mm -hmm. And God knows they worked for it. But when you have best RPG regulated to a footnote, and not just not mm -hmm. that, like best sound design, things that matter a lot in game mm -hmm. genres that matter a lot. Uh, I don't know. It just and, and then dedicate all that time to, let's put it this way. I could not tell the commercials from the trailers by the middle of that show. I just yeah. didn't know. I'm like, is this a new game? Is this a reveal? Uh, did I miss the world premiere thing? Like it, it was just, uh, I'm just glad I didn't have to cover it. And I'm sorry if you did. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a long night. Uh, there was a point around the Doke V pop concert that my brain just turned to silly putty. Uh, and you can tell because my next tweet, I tweeted that exact sentence. And then the next thing I tweeted was Van Huwailin, <laughs> like Uwu plus Van Halen, because they played some chip tune. It was chip tune of, of jump. jump. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, Van Halen. <laughs> and that was that was, my brain was just mush. And everyone just mashed jumped potatoes. on me for saying I like the Imagine Dragons. <laughs> OK, but Imagine Dragons is bad. You know, you know that, right? Like. I don't have anything against them i'm just like i i'm not out there oh my god they're playing i have to go see them it's just like oh okay i i like radioactive i think it's a cool song i thought it was really awesome that they remixed corbin's music like god give us that, that give us more cool. of that i was like oh cool they're going to not play their own songs and instead really like highlight some incredible music it's cool that the imagine dragons folks are into darren corbin's music i think that's, that's awesome i love super giants music it's been fantastic and we got to feature it last year with hades and, and yeah. honoring bastion which is one of my like top 10 games of all time like that's great and then oh the misery everybody <laughs> wants to be my enemy like oh Oh, that song. I hate that song. I hate it. Is that one of theirs? <laughs> it's, it's from Arcane. So oh. that's the theme song to Arcane. So why the, are they the mixing? League of Legends show? I guess they have to. Because Arcane. And and that was the thing. It was like when I first heard that song, I told someone it sounded like somebody sat down and wrote a parody of an Imagine Dragons song <laughs> and then gave it to Imagine Dragons. And they were like, great, we got our new song. Great, we got a new song. I actually liked their uh, League of Legends song and I wrote about it and people got mad at me for writing about it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. You don't like it? Mm -hmm. No. Wait, was that the the one they did before? The one that was like that was the, Warriors? the Warriors? Yeah. That one was palatable. It's not it's not the best in terms of the songs at league of legends. Cause every year they commission a new song yeah. for their worlds. And I still think that the KDA K pop stuff was the best that that has ever been. Cause that song charted like that song did. Well. And granted that was because they had the power of K pop behind them right. and you cannot ever underestimate the power of K pop. But it's, I, I think all of that just goes to highlight so there are two major disconnects I felt with the show last night. And number one was it, we last night we were recording this as it, it was last night. But um, the first one was 
yes, there was so little stage time given to the categories. And I, you know, I heard a lot of people talk today about, oh, the winners didn't get a lot of time. The nominees got no time. They they just put the list of games up there and said which one won. Yeah. And I was I was sitting there. There were games you wouldn't know Psychonauts 2 was nominated in so many categories if you weren't paying attention to the text on screen. Right. And it's bummer enough that Psychonauts 2 didn't take any awards home because it's a great game. I've heard that game is, is very good. I haven't played it yet, but I've heard nothing but stellar things yeah, about it. And two, um, uh, Tim, help me out here. Schaefer? Tim Schaefer. Apparently his outfit at the game awards was insanely good. Uh, and I, I wanted some, cause look, I like Joseph Ferris as much as the next person, but he, he walked up there looking like what he wears every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that dude, that dude just wears only that. Like I, I want some, some style on that stage, you know? Uh, but I, I think the other thing that obviously people got upset about, and that has been a bit more contentious was the sort of, even keel statement at the beginning about we do not we stand against harassment we stand against abuse online harassment especially and i'm sitting there like that's not the issue yeah yeah he's like if you've read the headlines and i i tweeted this i was like just say the company's names like just say it jeff yeah like we i think it doesn't do a lot and so I, I listened to a Twitter spaces this morning that Keely did. Uh, that was kind of a post show thing. And someone asked him about that. Mm-hmm. They were like, why, why did you not specify Activision Blizzard when everybody knew you were talking about Activision Blizzard? And he gave some answer that was like, well, if I name one company, there's also a lot of other companies that have had issues. We just had a story that we'll talk about in our random encounter section of another like issues at studios that, that have come out. Uh, and uh, specifying one does not recognize the larger problem. And I was like, that's a fair answer. But at the same time, like it, the thing I got most frustrated with was that it felt vague on purpose. Exactly. And then the weird pivot to online harassment. I was like, that's what are you even what talking about? Me. It really. And then here's Quantic Dream. Yeah, here's Quantic... <laughs> Isn't that just a great capper? Here's, here's Quantic Dream. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, allegedly reportedly we have to say there have been stories reports that have come out like about bad reports issues issues at quantic dream and we have to say reportedly because that is how this thing works yes. but even when you have a, a studio that was very notably in the press for this stuff and that's the big reveal that comes up like minutes after your your big statement on this like you could have thought that over a bit know. better. And it reminded me a bit of, God, I can't remember what year it was at this point, the Blizzard apology, quote unquote, for uh, what was it that happened? They censored that uh, the uh, pro Hong Kong player, I think, from Hearthstone. Oh, Blitzchung. Yeah. 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 And just this, we will do better at what, with what, you didn't say. And I don't think they've done better. God knows. Something that came out in the Bungie reports today, uh, shout outs to Rebecca Valentine, uh, friend of the show and over at IGN, uh, was one of the employees that she talked to for the piece said something like, we're just sick and tired of making of people making statements and saying they're improving. Absolutely. Like, lis- listen and act. Don't just make statements and posture yourself over and over again, because that's. I, to me personally, not addressing this stuff head on and, uh, you know, making an attempt is how 
you stop giving cover to a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And at least Keely got up there and said something, but even then the way it all happened made it feel like he was forced into that because of the interview quote that uh, went around and, and he's, he's a grown man given an interview. He knew what he said in that interview. And I, I don't really ascribe to the notion that like things were taken out of context because the, the context was right there. Yeah. In the interview, but it was like, you need to stand up and say something because the thing about the game awards is with all the glitz and glamor with all the, the massive stage in the middle of LA and everybody flying out there and all the production and stuff, means that it is one of the most public facing shows that we have of the actual industry. Yes. If you think about games in general, E3 is still the big one and E3 is still probably the most public facing. But Game Awards is the most public facing the industry itself gets the devs, the people that make the industry up. And if we're not representing the change that we want to see there, then what are we even doing? Like you Mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that you have that power at some point and you need to at least wield it with a bit more, you know, awareness of, of what you are, or, or at least don't pretend like you're not going to. And so I'll, I'll end my rant with shout outs to there. There were people protesting outside the convention hall with, uh, with signs and stuff, supporting the folks at Raven software and Activision blizzard who are currently on a work stoppage. Um, that's, that's the sort of support that I like to see. That's people getting up and doing something. So shout outs to them. Yeah, I'm really glad that's all going down. I'm really glad to see they're unionizing uh, because clearly putting this in the hands of managers and leaving it there is not doing a thing. So, uh, well, got to get noisy, I suppose. Can you imagine if Kodak's legacy is starting a massive labor revolution within the games industry? <laughs> well, maybe then he'd finally have something to be proud of. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the I mean, that look. Those union authorization cards are going around. Yeah. You know, and there was the message that went out this morning uh, that was like them being like, please don't unionize. Please, <laughs> Mr. Obama, I'm drowning. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> uh, good luck with that, Blizzard Activision and everybody. But yeah, it was just uh, just to wrap up about the show. It was fine. Uh, as you said, we, I guess I should take into consideration it was a COVID year. I guess mm-hmm. I just fell in for the hype. Oh my God, we're getting a Chrono Cross remake. Oh my God, we're getting a Breath mm. of the Wild 2 trailer. And to Kat's credit, last week she said, no, that's, there's no way they're going to put that in Game Awards. They're probably going to put it like maybe Nintendo Direct uh, mm-hmm. after Christmas. So uh, we'll just see about that. But yeah, for now, Eric, why don't you tell us about your Here's a Thing. I got a thing. So uh, the one thing that the Game Awards was good for was giving me a thing to talk about. Oh, good. Because this morning, woke up, poured a nice hot cup of coffee and sat down and played The Matrix Awakens, which is a new Unreal Engine tech demo that they officially unveiled during the Game Awards That's right, yeah. And so... For those who don't know, I love the first Matrix movie. Like that is that's a top ten all time oh, yeah, movie for me. Uh, it's it's so so good. Uh, but I kind of uh, it's been a while since I've seen the sequels, but I'm very excited for the new movie. So I sat down over the last two weeks and I watched all three of them again. You know, number one, still, oh my god, I would watch it again right now. I'd yeah. put that movie on right now and go watch it. But uh, the second movie. Uh, you know, it's got some ups and downs. Sure got some uh, weird orgies. Movie. Yeah. Oh, no, that scene. <laughs> well, 
honestly, it was weirder that there wasn't more going on because it was supposed to be like last night in Zion. And I was like, only Neo and Trinity are sneaking off. Yeah, okay, sure. Sure. But everyone else is dancing in the mud. Third movie, uh, I I don't even know what happened in the third movie. I I'm still confused by it. Like it's I don't even know what really happens. Machine God, Phil, Agent Smith with light. I don't know. So I'm looking forward to a fourth movie that hopefully maybe returns to what I like so much about that first movie, which was the Matrix stuff itself. Yeah. And not the, the broader philosophical ideas and not the weird lore that they started implementing and all that. Yeah, they kind of traded the philosophy for the, for lore. As I recall, I remember sitting in the third movie mm-hmm. getting gradually pissier and pissier because by mm-hmm. then I was really like into RPGs and I'm like, they they just kind of took an RPG plot and made it into a movie there, didn't they? And not even in any sort of proper context. Yeah, they were like, you know, this movie that everybody loves because it's got all this sort of three body problem, Plato's cave sort of high minded philosophy going on in the middle of a what is like a silly action movie. What if we threw all that out Instead, we had long scenes of humans debating whether they should move their ships to one place or another and not even in the fun way that some places do that stuff, but (laughs) in a boring way, in a boring way. Yeah like very slow just, debate so what i what i will say is the matrix awakens if y'all have not played it it's only available on next gen consoles so ps5 series x series s uh not pc for some weird reason mm-hmm. uh which feels weird for the matrix but uh it's it's a short tech demo that is a tech demo for unreal engine 5 so a, a large portion of it is walking around this open world and being able to see all this different stuff where they show you how many different ai they can simulate and all the different uh lighting things they can do and all that and it is like genuinely impressive and has me excited about what people are going to be able to do with this engine but the first half of it is this I didn't even fully comprehend that it was CGI at the beginning. I thought it was legitimately scenes from the movie. Like it actually did trick me. Like it full on tricked me. And and then went into it's a lot of Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss just having fun mm. and bantering back and forth. And they have, I mean, even back in the original Matrix, they had incredible chemistry together. And even in the sequels, I would say one of the like continuously good things is the relationship between Neo and Trinity and the chemistry they clearly have yeah. on screen as two incredibly hot people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no argument there. Um, but it's the two of them together in in that Unreal Engine world and the kind of bantering back and forth and, and Keanu slash Neo is making these jokes about... Uh, what do you mean the matrix? And, and they pass by a bus that has advertisements for the matrix movie <laughs> on it. And Trinity's like marketing made us do it. And then you, the player show up in the, in the back of the car and you're like, I'm here to learn about the matrix. And, and Neo's like, well, you know, those guys chasing us are agents. Uh, look out for them and never listen to marketing. That's my text. And he <laughs> supermans out of the car. And it's, it's just fun and enjoyable and this cool action sequence that really merges what I like about those characters in that world together. So if you like the matrix movies, you should, you should really play this because it will give you that little, that little hit of matrix goodness going into the next matrix heroin. Is it, it's a free demo, I suppose. Completely free, completely free. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's like 10 minutes. It's nothing. They haven't implemented Unreal 5 into anything yet, right? Like, I think it's still experimental. It's, 
it's being worked on right. at studios. So there are studios that are working with Unreal 5. I don't know if we've had a game yet that's been made, like a commercial game that's been made on Unreal 5 yet. I just I like the idea about that, but. of, of uh, The Matrix being the one to demonstrate this uh, computer world. That's really cool. Yeah. And they do a lot of nice little stuff. Like the UI is this throwback, um, you know, MS-DOS, like real blocky UI and stuff like that. So nice. They do some nice, fun things with it that definitely have that feeling of the first movie uh, that I really, really enjoyed. So ASCII art forever. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. It It's very good. So that is Eric's thing of the week, all about the Matrix. We will be moving on to our main topic, which is with uh, our $100 patron, Valexia. And uh, it is all about LBGTQ representation in games and RPGs specifically. So don't go away. today for our main topic which is uh lgbtq plus issues in games is our hundred dollar patron valexia we're very very honored to have you here valexia thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for choosing a great topic this is going to be very very interesting i think um why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first like how did you get into rpgs hi nadia hi eric it's good to be here um how did i get well first of all i've been listening to the show for quite a while uh Ah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, active in the Discord community. Yeah, you're very active in the community. Like, uh, you're always great to have around, and you are, of course, a, a Final Fantasy fourteen fan. Which oh, very makes much you, so. <laughs> <laughs> which elevates you to to godlyhood in in the pantheon of the Blood God, I believe. Uh, what is your favorite RPG, though? My favorite RPG of all time has got to be Chrono Trigger. That's probably yes. not yeah not a very uncommon opinion, but uh. It's got to be at the top of my list. Are you, um, at the time of this recording, we just got over the Game Awards. Are you disappointed Mm -hmm. that we got pretty much nothing in the way of (laughs) anything? It was was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Uh, Final Fantasy VII on PC remake. Uh, That's about it, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that's okay. I mean, they're charging 70 bucks for it, though, so... (laughs) We just heard Eric's cat go. Oh, I thought I heard a cat back there. <laughs> yeah, my cats are also yelling at each other. So, but no cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric has a very persistent cat named Poe, who likes to interject oh, a lot. Okay. He was. I thought I put him down for a nap. <laughs> like I literally took time before the podcast to get mm-hmm. him all chilled out, and here he is yelling. Of course, you're yeah, having a conversation. He should be involved. Because you're not paying attention to him. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like Chrono Cross at all, Lexi, or is that just kind of? I do. Eh. I, I do. Okay. I actually, I think I like it more than a lot of people do. <laughs> I know I, yeah, it gets I kind of it. a kind of a bad rap because, uh, in a lot of ways, it's not a direct sequel to Chrono Trigger, and it, there are yeah. some choices in that game, like uh, the characters. There's way too many playable characters, and a lot of them aren't yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's like a, a huge roster, and I mean Final Fantasy VI. Up until that point, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VI was like basically what uh, probably the Square game with the biggest roster, and then oh, here comes yeah, Chrono Cross so. to give us uh, I don't know a chef with a with a frying pan for some reason. I did love the wrestler 
the priest wrestler who oh, was God, what named was like name? Greco or something. Greco, yeah. And he was a lucha. Yeah, he was pretty he, awesome. He's pretty cool. Uh, but my favorite character in the game, you can't even get unless you make a terrible choice. <laughs> Is it that always goes that way. Glenn. Glenn, that's right. Okay, I think I tried to do that route once, and it was like, oh, it's um, terrible. It's it, it makes me, you know, it, it makes me make a decision that I would mm-hmm. never personally make. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, why did you decide to choose this particular topic, uh, LGBTQ, really, um, you know, topics in games and how they're handled? I, I assuming, well, of course, it's very important to to you as it is oh, to yes. myself and yeah. Eric. Yeah, as as a uh, transgender woman, it's very important to me. Um, mm-hmm. and LGBTQ plus representation in, uh, games and movies. It's not a topic that doesn't get talked about. It gets talked about quite a bit, but I've, I've never really heard it talked about much in the context of just RPGs. You're talking about a genre that's defined by its characters. We were just talking exactly. about Chrono Cross, for example. Yes. Uh, you know, RPGs tend to have richer storytelling and, uh, deeper characterizations. So you would think that it would be the perfect genre to explore these topics in. But it's been kind of a mixed bag, <laughs> to say the least. It's, yeah. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how how old are you? Oh, I am 37. So you're around my age. I'm 41. So you mm-hmm. probably remember, I, I wrote in the notes about how in the 90s, we were getting there in terms of, okay, it's acceptable mm-hmm. to say you're gay, but we really weren't there yet. Right. And you had things like Pet Shop Boys pretending that Go West is a song about fleeing the Soviet Union, which was pretty much on its way out anyway. Like you could see yeah. by that point, you could have sneezed on the Iron Curtain and it would have fallen over. But yeah, yeah here's, here come the Pet Shop Boys are totally not gay at all, guys. They weren't fooling anyone with that. <laughs> no, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Absolutely amazing. I think they're one of the oh, best yeah. bands ever created. Oh, but, mm-hmm. but no, they, they I guess that's what you had to do back then. It was a little different maybe for me because growing up in Canada, we had kids in the hall, but it was still... I had the exposure a little earlier, but it still wasn't okay to say, hey, everyone, I'm gay, unless you were Scott Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I've had these feelings for a long time, but only came out a few years ago because I've lived most of my life in the American South. Right. Yeah, it's kind of a touchy subject. I'll be honest with everyone here. I'm, I mean, I'm cis and I'm maybe, had, I don't know what I am. I don't know what my label is. And <laughs> that's okay. As I get older, it just becomes the case. And I'm comfortable with that. I'm just, I am me. I am what I am, as Popeye mm. would say. So <laughs> I certainly don't have deep roots as, an, as like a, for an identity, but I can understand how it, basically my parents always made it clear, look, if you're gay or anything, if you're whatever, we don't care. You're still our daughter and we'll always support you. But even then, I would have been terrified to come out because, you know, your parents are—they love you and they—they they cherish you. But maybe they say something sometime that makes you wonder: Okay, should I? Mm. You know, are they going to you know reject me if I if I come out to them? So mm. go imagining what you must have gone through—that uh, that takes a lot of strength. And you know, that's one reason why this representation is so important mm-hmm. because if mm-hmm. young right. people see characters that uh, match what they might think of themselves as, you know, without uh, without it being a negative portrayal. Right of, of that, then uh, they might it might help them feel a little bit better about being open about who they are. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's such a huge thing that like I know people who have 
kind of found themselves thanks to games like you know mass effect games like dragon age that let them explore pieces of themselves that they can't safely explore wherever they are or just haven't even thought to yet and and learn things about themselves and that's one of the things about we we say rpg a lot we maybe don't think about what that acronym means broken down it is role playing and it it allows that level of learning a little bit about yourself in the process and uh it if done well can provide a format for that can provide something for you to explore who you are as a person and and learn things about Mm -hmm. yourself or just be yourself a little bit in a video game and what done badly it can just be a caricature (laughs) it can be so (laughs) much worse yeah Yeah. i was going to ask you do you remember RPG or maybe even some other piece of media, uh, especially something directed towards children. What was the first good representation you remember seeing of someone who was maybe not like cishet straight? Oh, geez. Uh, first good representation. That's actually a tough one because I yeah. think of several bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. Like uh, what I mentioned my was my favorite RPG. Chrono Trigger had uh, kind of a bad representation in the villain Flea. Mm. right yeah or <laughs> i mean there were there was a positive aspect to that too but it was a villain mm. you know that yeah that always seems to come up that's actually a topic i was going to bring up um mm-hmm. have you played 13 sentinels not yet i have it uh mm-hmm. i just haven't really sat down and put time into it i've played like the first 20 minutes or so <laughs> gorgeous game um it is it is absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. it's rpg adjacent so i think it counts and it's, it's just an amazing game and in that game though there is a character who is you know mild mild spoilers here very genderqueer mm-hmm. and i think they are a really well-written character and they but the thing is they do things that are problematic not quite the villain because there's not really any villain in this story it's a really really strange story but I had someone who was trans tell me, well, I don't like that representation because they do this problematic thing and that's a bad stereotype. And I totally understand where that stereotype comes from, like, you know, why it would be hurtful. But then to think to myself, well, it's not like they did it out of pure malice to be like, look at my scary gay body to everyone or whatever. Like, you know, there's no panic in it. It's just they're a mastermind. And I was just wondering, like, for anyone, like, where do you draw that line between, okay, it's okay to write a problematic character without falling into those really terrible, you know, stereotypes from the past. It's, it's, it's a balance, isn't it? It is. It's uh, kind of a tough balance to make because, you know, we want good representations and, uh, but we, we also don't want to say that uh, queer characters can't be villains either. Right. That's kind of the thing. Yeah. That's, that's the tough thing to balance is that, you know, you go play games like the last of us and and things like that. And you do run into those topics where you have to navigate around the idea of there are some bad, you know, even among just any kind of representation in games, you run into a lot of things like, you know, fridging and and things like that, where Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's a storytelling trope that's easy to fall into and you don't want to, to treat your material. Like it's, it's too precious to mess with that stuff, but you also want to have good representation. And I feel like more and more, I think the, the response to that has just to been to have the representation and to have it not feel like it's okay. We have one character from this background and one character from this background. Yeah. Like the Burger King kids club. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, we've, we've, we've checked some boxes, but instead you're just creating a cast that feels naturally, 
alive that feels naturally like part of a world and doesn't feel that that way of like oh this character's whole personality is this and they yes. represent this in this yeah, game they have to be more of a character than just yeah. their uh their sexual identity is not their entire personality um and actually to answer your earlier question nadia i think one of the first characters i can think of that stood out to me as a positive representation even though this character was not intended to be viewed as a queer character was uh, Ferris in Final Fantasy V. Ah, ah, that is actually a character I have heard mentioned from people who are LGBTQ mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit older. They mentioned that Ferris is one of their characters, the first characters they really kind of uh, glommed onto for that exact reason. Right. Yeah. And even though, the, even though the character isn't really put forth as a true transgender character, I mean, they do refer to them as female through mm -hmm. the entire game, I believe, other than when you first meet them. But uh, yeah, it, it stood out to me a lot. And uh, first time I played it, uh, the character really, really spoke to me in that kind of way. Like, Yeah, yeah. And Ferris is pretty badass. Uh, she, oh, yeah. She's a leader of the pirates, isn't she? She is. In five, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, just to, in case you haven't played five, to recap, Ferris was, um, I won't spoil exactly who she was, but when she was a baby, she was, was it raised by pirates who raised her as a, a man? Or I can't remember exactly what happened. Uh, I believe that's about the, the gist of it. They don't, don't, they don't go into a ton of detail about that, but. No, but she was raised to be the, the, the captain of the pirates and she was, does present as a male at first and she has a really cool sea dragon. Yeah. And she does not care if people think of her as male. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and she has a badass sea dragon, and you know, having a uh, having a uh, dragon companion is always a plus in my book. I agree. You can never really go wrong with that. I know that Game of Thrones kind of ruined it a bit, but I still uh, think mm -hmm. it's an awesome yeah. trope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess if we're going to talk a little bit about the bad, we have talked very extensively in the past about Persona and how they've mm. uh, yeah. messed up pretty badly, but um, have you played Five? I don't remember. Yes, uh, I haven't finished it. But, okay, but you have met the character of Lala in uh, the Red yes. Light District? Yes, I've met Lala. At first, I didn't think they were going to handle that very well mm -hmm. because of her uh, you know, basic appearance and uh, the voice clips. Very few, but they're there. Uh, yeah. Made it think like it was going to, oh, here's gonna, this is going to be another stereotypical, you know, off-putting uh trans character but uh no uh she is actually very uh very cool character she's uh the thing i like most about her and i think this is a big test about whether or not you have a, a good representation or not or at least like one of the factors she is the owner of a bar in the red light district and she has a lot of regulars of course and they all respect her very much and they like her and they don't make fun of her appearance that I've ever seen. I could have missed text, but uh, I've never seen anyone make fun of her. They respect her for who she is. I mean, I know like, for example, the Majipsies in Mother 3 were always uh, extremely controversial yeah. and probably the reason why we're not getting Mother 3 over here. But even though I totally see the criticisms of that particular brand of characters, I did also notice that they are extremely respected as the great sages of the island. And I can't say that the representation is good, but I did appreciate that at least. They were respect. Extremely, extremely magical. <laughs> it went, went a bit better than 
the the other representation we have in Persona Five. <laughs> oh, not yeah, so great. The one that they slightly changed for Royal, but not enough. Yeah, like probably did the most that a localization team can do under the circumstances. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. Like, kudos to the localization team for really pushing for that and. Mm-hmm. You know, Which, boo to all the weirdos out there who are like, you're changing the source material. Like, it's not no. even a good joke. I don't understand. No, it's like, not. it's it's such a trope that you've seen in anime since. God, when we're talking about villains and the way they're depicted, and in like, rather how gays are depicted as villains, you had a lot of kind of early cartoons in anime that did that. The effeminate character was usually the villain. You know, so just kind of a trope that had to die, and just the idea of there being like, you know, predatory. Yeah, uh, men coming after young men. Ha ha! Look how yeah. funny this is. He right. pushes buttons. Yeah. Just it, it wasn't. I've it seen wasn't it. Very funny. Turn the, turning them into like Pepe Le Pew stereotypes that are yes. also going after <laughs> an underage kid. Yeah, like that's, yeah. That just that's just the icing on the cake. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And look, Persona is a game that has issues with age and all that. Yeah, a few. <laughs> oh, ta- yeah. listen to it's our like, pantheon, folks. Yeah, yeah. It's like they forget that these characters are underage sometimes. I had a yeah. really long discussion once with a friend because he w- he was adamant that the only like uh, permissible romances that any player should pursue in that game are the ones of the the older women because mm-hmm. if you are playing that game and you're over eighteen, it's weird to romance the characters who are in school yeah. with the protagonist. And my my personal argument was that it's a role playing game where you are that protagonist. So actually, yeah. it's the older women who are creepy and the ones who are in that age range who are normal. And it was the longest argument I've ever had in my life. It, I would say if you are playing, I think you're on the right, Eric. You are playing a game, especially Persona, which puts you in the in the in the player's uh, seat, and you yeah. are a high school student. Of course, you would date high school. What like I, I would hope so. Like. I'll be honest, I went after the doctor and that was just like, we have to stop here because well, you're she underage. gives you good drugs. To she be gives fair. you really good drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you can date her and she gives you drugs. That, that's yeah. great. And, and her, I mean, if you date her too, you get to see her other outfits, which are so adorable. I love them so much. But Persona is one of those weird cases where you even had, uh, you know, years later, so you had Persona 3. And then after that, you had Persona 3 Portable come out. And Persona 3 Portable let you play as the the female version of the main character. And I like, like they were just like, here, here's female option for MC. And now instead of dating all the girls, you can date all the boys. Uh, you can date, I guess, and Elizabeth. Really? I did yeah, not know you as could a date. female. Yep. Huh. The two, know you know, the only two basically non-human romance options, but oh. still mm. <laughs> one's yeah, a robot no. and one is a, uh, whatever Elizabeth is. I barreled straight for the the boxer guy, so I don't know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you can uh, f the robot, but for God's sakes, don't mm-hmm. don't have heterosexual <laughs> but, relationships. That's an affront to God. But that was the case where it was like it made it so transparent because the protagonists in these games, even going up to Persona Five, they are a you know customizable protagonist. You can put your own name in there. You're not playing a set character. Yeah. And B there's no real like voice lines that are happening in persona. And most of the text is even just dialogue that your character is saying, if you pick a choice, but for the most part, you're kind of just listening to someone talk at you. Yeah. And it made it so transparent that if someone wanted to, they could just flip that switch and Mm. you could be dating whoever you wanted to in these games. And I think in persona four, there is a mod that lets you date, 
the best friend of Persona 4. Yeah, that I was, think I've heard about yeah, that. Yeah, that was planned and, and they put it back, or modders put it back Yeah, in. modders like enabled it. And there's yeah. there's stories of that all over. We, we're probably going to talk about Bioware at some point and that had the same thing mm-hmm. in Mass Effect 1 where it was really easy to just make it so that oh, yeah. Shepard could date either of the human squad mates or Liara instead of being gender locked on them. And that's, you know modding is its own separate category of people have been doing that for years and enabling that stuff for years but it makes it so transparent how that switches but also with persona 3 it was that they were aware (laughs) (laughs) it really is boom like that Uh, and one flag and it switches over yeah Uh, speaking of persona 4 it really bothers me how uh what's his name kanji kanji name Mm -hmm. kanji yeah oh yeah let's be honest He's as gay as the day is long. Oh, God, yeah. The first but, time. But the I game refuses it. to say that. Mm-hmm. I, when I I didn't play it, but I watched the animation and mm-hmm. I was coming out of that like, oh, yeah, that's what the takeaway was. Right. That's yeah. what that whole thing was about. I was like, nah, he's just really in touch with his sensitive side and stuff. I was like, that yeah. was not what any of that was about. <laughs> apparently, apparently, according to the director of the game, from what I've read, there's there's no definitive answer about his sexuality and i'm like that's a lie anybody who's played the game can Uh, tell (laughs) that was probably the most disappointing thing about persona 4 for me is the fact Mm -hmm. that you did have yusuke and kanji and this dynamic between them and it was so childish but all they had to do was go one step further and explore why they were like that kanji's Mm -hmm. gay and uh, yusuke is homophobic that's all there is to it let them work it out. They don't have to be a couple, but they have to work it out. Don't just right. let it linger like some stupid juvenile joke. Uh, one thing I've noticed about JRPGs in particular is that they're generally okay with saying a female character yes. is gay, yeah. but yeah. not a male character. Yeah, I- I've noticed that a lot in Falcom's games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Falcom has been kind of bad about that from what I've heard. Falcom has lesbians just hitting at each other like no big oh, deal, yeah. but well, then again... Uh, Adol and Dogi are totally married. I think even the creator of the series is like, uh, they're, they're pretty much husband and wife, <laughs> which it matches. <laughs> to me, they're together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you don't get, I think Cold Steel tends to kind of have a lot of women together, but rarely, rarely men. I'm, I think there is, but you'll the ratio is not there. Right. Even you stumble into stuff like Fire Emblem and Fates infamously yeah. had some issues with that. And, right. Um, Three Houses was better ish like better by the standards of fire emblem set before it uh yeah and- it's it seems like they still focus a lot on the uh as far as uh queer romances go with females yeah yeah i think there was like one or two male male romances in that game and then the rest of the the queer romances were female oriented right. and it was with like edelgard you know, a main character in that game. And I'm yeah. sorry, but I was playing male Byleth and going right into the golden deer and like, what's up, Claude? How you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone get to mod in that game, you know, please. <laughs> <laughs> that desperate little please at the end. Maybe one day. Yeah. But I, I mean, on the same, you know, we, I feel like it's easy to look at Japanese games and say like they've had their issues. They've also had some of their triumphs, like maybe not necessarily in in JRPGs, but 
the missing which was um yeah i always get these i get these two creators mixed up all the time um it's Suda uh, and sweary it's, it's sweary, sweary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i previewed uh, that game at uh i think the last packs it's it's an excellent little game that i granted i've not finished it but i've heard incredible things about it from people who found it to be a really good piece of representation yeah. and yeah. a good piece of fiction about a character another another really good game for uh, as far as representation of transgender characters goes uh, that's not an rpg it was uh celeste yeah yeah that's right yeah which uh a shout out to toronto studio there <laughs> yeah and the, the main character maddie was not even uh designed as a trans character in the beginning mm-hmm. but uh, no it, it was revealed later wasn't it it was revealed later through uh through some cutscenes, uh and it's it's not just thrown out there it's just Right, it's still part of who she is, but it's, it's not it's like subtle. But it's there. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, th- yeah, and uh, the developer of the game, she uh, discovered that she was transgender through mm-hmm. the process of making this game. Yeah, Maddie I think Thorson, I remember reading that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. Just kind of discovering yourself through a game you made. That's pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Not RPG related, but still really cool. No, no. It is a sign that things are getting better. People are learning lessons, and that's really all I can ask out of people sometimes. Um, I think we can both agree that Final Fantasy XIV is gay as hell. Like, Yes, it is. <laughs> not even gay as hell, sorry. Bisexual as hell. There you it, go. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the game that taught me the, the term dip the wick. I'm like, wow. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> Thank you, Final Fantasy fourteen. This has been so enlightening. There's That's a lot, terrible. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of hidden little nuggets in that game like that. <laughs> You're reminding me of that time that I think we were about to head into a holiday break for US Gamer. Oh, that was great. And we were all logging off, like we were all leaving for the break. And right before we were leaving, I remember you DMing me and being like, hey. I, I got this piece. Can you edit it for me real quick? Kat said to like toss it your way. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm, I'm about to bounce, but take a look at it. It's that FF14 is incredibly horny article. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, why? Of course, this is the last thing I have to do before I leave. <laughs> you sent me a DM like, Nadia, don't do this to me. That's a great <laughs> way to do start this. the holiday break. <laughs> Yeah, that was when I first started playing. I realized, wow, this game's uh, this game like just is straight up front about gonorrhea. Mm-hmm. I should, I actually yeah. really respect that. It's yeah, <laughs> it's great though, and there are multiple uh, you know, openly gay NPCs in some uh, some of the towns. Uh, yeah, um, Idleshire has yeah. a row and a Lala who are gay, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh god, that poor little guy. I, I hope he doesn't bottom. I really, really worry for him. Mm-hmm. Oh no! <laughs> but I uh, know that was a really that was a really it was a cute story where they have the money lenders after them and little guys protecting the big guy because that's who the money lenders after. And yeah, they were just and the thing yeah. I like about that it wasn't just like coy. It was like, oh yeah, he's my partner. I love him. It's just I'm gay. But, I love my yeah. partner. Like if mm. anyone else would love their partner, it's not that big of a deal. Plus, there are several major characters that are obviously horny for the Warrior of Light, regardless of uh, their gender. Poor Grahatia. He's <laughs> so desperate. <laughs> oh, yeah, poor boy. Graha's got it bad. <laughs> I feel like one of the other developers that always comes up when you talk about representation in games in this is Bioware. And I think it's probably oh, worth mentioning them here because mm-hmm. 
I think they get a lot of credit, like do credit nowadays, especially in terms of romance and having romance options. Yeah. Not always that way. <laughs> no, I was wondering about that because no, you guys are more familiar with early Bioware. Yeah. I'm still offended you can't date Rex or any uh, Krogan, but, oh, but yeah. I, I like, can't deal with that. There, There is one element of even when it is like romance in these games, you are constantly romancing characters that are there's a whole rabbit hole to go down of the Asari are treated as kind of this agender species, right. but they are consistently they are given female. like feminine characteristics, feminine appeal. And that that's a really long, deep rabbit hole to fall down. <laughs> but It is. Um, um, and, you know, generally they're pretty good with representation now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's one really negative example uh, mm-hmm. from a recent game, and that was in Mass Effect Andromeda. There's oh a, an NPC that's transgender, and they didn't handle it very well because the first I think I remember time that. you talk to this character, she dead names herself. <laughs> oh, trying, boy. I'm trying to remember which character I this think, was. Uh, was that the, I have was that, down. I don't name. remember the scene or the character's name, but was that the one where they said, like, I decided so and so wasn't me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That it was just very clumsy, as I recall. Extremely clumsy. Oh, okay. Oh, Haley yeah. Abrams was her name. Yeah. They, I, apparently, I they vaguely fixed remember that in a this patch. character. Yeah. So I played Thank it God after patches, the patch, I so I didn't even know yeah. about that. Because, <laughs> like, oh. hey, uh, you know, I don't know you, but here's my life story, and hey, I'm trans, and that's like my entire identity. Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean. There was a similar dead naming issue with Catherine, and that was one that I dropped into like the bad column was like Catherine had its own problems at launch, and then it had even more problems when it did the full body release to the point that like I know a lot of Catherine fans who just don't really don't. I prefer the original to to full body. I I can't play full body because how bad that whole representation is of that that new Mm -hmm. character. Yeah, yeah, it. Seriously makes me wonder what Persona 6 is in for because mm-hmm. Catherine Fallbody demonstrates that the team still isn't quite there with trans issues. But then Persona 5, like we said, had the character of Lala, which is pretty good representation. But you still had the gay panic in there as well. It's just going to be, uh, I don't know, a grab bag of disasters or mm-hmm. wonderful things. Right. And, you know, uh, you know, Persona's had good and bad uh, yeah, representation yeah. now. And they're not alone in that. And you're probably going to hate me for bringing this game up, but uh, Cyberpunk 2077. No, I've I've heard this before. <laughs> I've I've heard this argument before about characters like River and bad representation in one yeah. game. I mean, yeah. for, we have uh, a trans character named Claire who is a really awesome character. You go through an entire quest chain with her. Where you're you know street racing, and it's it's really fun, and the character is really well written. Uh, but then at the same time, you have some really disgusting advertisements. Yeah, make advertisements mm-hmm. for products in the game that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they're just very unpleasant. Uh, you've probably already heard about all that. <laughs> yeah, they went for like an edge lord take with all yeah. the ads, and it just yeah. did the opposite of whatever they intended it to do. <laughs> exactly. The thing that bothered me about that most is that okay, they made a mistake, and we were just talking about how Bioware made a mistake, mm-hmm. and they fixed it, and cyberpunk's team as i recall doubled down on that on social media it became a whole thing that it didn't need to become whereas like 
Right. You could have learned from the criticism because there was a lot of good stuff there. Not yeah. everyone is there screaming at you and calling you terrible. There are tons of people who are saying, look, this is why this isn't the best idea. Here's what you should consider. And that's not offensive at all. That's just, you can put on your big person mm-hmm. pants and take that kind of criticism. They could have easily fixed it. I mean, They well, could have easily fixed it in two seconds and said, sorry, we'll do better. I don't know we'll how do easily they can fix anything, judging by what's been fixed so far. <laughs> but uh, I think CD Projekt Red kind of uh, struggles with these issues anyways. Yeah. Because uh, if I can talk briefly about The Witcher for a moment. Uh, sure, of course. The, mm-hmm. the character Siri. In the books yes. that the games are based on, she is very clearly bisexual. Mm-hmm. She's had relationships with uh, at least one female character and uh, several males. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as I know, in The Witcher 3, I think you can have her say one thing in one conversation that says, oh, I, I, I really like women more. But other than right. that, it's never brought up. And her her main arc during that game is very much like I love Siri as a character, both in Wild Hunt and in the books. But it was kind of weird that one of the main setups for her story is kind of this like isekai love story with this random (laughs) farm boy. It it was like she she pops back into the world and meets a farm boy and like falls in love a little. It's hard to tell whether it's like a sentimental attraction. The dude is definitely like really into her, but it's hard to gauge whether the game wants that to be like platonic or not. And it was that was like the one part of that story that I was, you know, eventually they get to the point where spoilers for The Witcher 3, like the there's a huge slaughter and all that. And Siri gets really upset and all that is kind of a driving force for her character. But, uh, I was like, huh, well they killed the boyfriend this time. I guess that's a step forward. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We remove that variable. Yeah. It was, it was a weird plot line and like CD project has had issues with just in general, like trying to balance the idea of, provocation versus like any sort of actual emotional depth for a lot of their characters. Like Geralt will have these wonderful long conversations with Yennefer about their relationship and what that means, you know, given different things that have transpired in, in wild hunt and all that. But then you play the Witcher one and you're getting trading cards for having sex with women. And it's yeah, that like, was so, that was so awful. That was so yeah, awful. It was, it was, it was really weird. And, and granted, they're not the only RPG that's ever done that. But of course, it's, Geralt's it's, whole uh, the way he acts towards women in the first two games just isn't great at all. Yeah, they. I feel like the Witcher TV series handles it a bit better because yeah. it is more supposed to be like he just is supposed to be that wandering Ronin type character of you know doesn't really have attachment to anything, right. and instead they like with at least the first two games just kind of took that as license for him to just anything that moves. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. Uh, characters should have flaws and that that's it. That's a valid flaw for a character to have, but they, they focus on it so much. <laughs> it works better in wild hunt when mm-hmm. it feels like they acknowledged like the detachment that he has from it and what it means when he does have attachment to things. And that's a long tangent about wild hunt, but uh, to segue into Bioware again, I think that's something that 
something like Dragon Age Inquisition did well was to have romances that felt meaningful and also like a classic criticism I have of Bioware and in terms of how they handle romance, in terms of how they handle relationships with characters and representation of those kinds of relationships is like in Inquisition, they made it so it wasn't just an achievement point. Like you get to a certain point with the character and then at the climax of the game, you'll have your, uh, you know, sexy time scene fade to black and then the xbox achievement pops up. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's a major criticism i have of mass effect throughout all three games is that and really until mass effect 3 that was how they handled romance was it was like boom achievement unlocked and <laughs> uh with inquisition like they didn't just have this wide range of characters that had their own backgrounds that really felt like they were just envisioned as characters that you could that romance depending on what type of character you were playing. And it felt very open and and free in a way that I haven't seen a lot of romance systems before, especially dragon age two, where it was like, you can just romance anybody. Screw it. We flipped the switch. Yeah, <laughs> You know, I think I do prefer it when characters are written to actually have preferences mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than just everybody being by, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I'll take that over nothing, but I'd still right. rather the characters have their own, I understand why they kind of have to do that in Final Fantasy fourteen, though, because there's yeah. just no really other way to do yeah, it. Yeah, there's no other way to do it. But I, I don't, also don't think the Warrior of Light will ever actually have a romance with anyone. No, so, hear no. you, Cosma, all the way. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Inquisition has a really well-written trans character in the party, mm, mm, which mm. I think might be one of the first, if not the first. Uh, transgender party member in an rpg wait is that clem Krem, yeah Krem. i always get that mixed up <laughs> yeah they're not in the party so they're not actual party member but oh, they do they like were. hang out it's, they it's do been hang a while out. and i didn't finish it so Krem, yeah. Krem like hangs out with iron bull oh that's time. right they're not actually iron in bull the party, another right. fantastic character i oh, i iron freaking love iron bull iron i know bull a lot great. of people who simped for iron bull back in the day the the closest that Bioware has gotten to not just giving like, oh, here's, you know, uh, a strapping young Chris Hemsworth type or yeah. a, a sexy blue lady type. But here's Iron Bull. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't he look like um, Tim Curry in Legend with the huge horns and the just a little bit. Yeah, I could, kind of yeah I could see the I could the I could see there. the yeah, I could see where the line gets drawn. Yeah, it's. But I was just going to say like that the romances in that game, I think, work incredibly well, not just because they have those characters who have their defined um, backgrounds, defined preferences, defined um, sexualities and and even just the way they they approach romance is very different. Like Cassandra is a very different romance from yeah. Josie and all that kind of stuff. Right. But uh, the romance is not just the scene. In fact. For most of them, like with Iron Bull, you can have sex with Iron Bull and just leave it as a fling and be done with it right. and move on. Or you can choose to pursue it further. And throughout the game, it will become this relationship touchstone that other party members will comment on. Dragon Age Origins did this really well, too, where you can start romancing Morrigan like the second you leave the swamp. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Maybe that swamp made you sexy. And everyone will will comment on it and talk about it. It becomes like a regular thing that is part of that. And I think that's the other thing is to look at the representation as not just like, 
oh, this is who you get your sex achievement with, right? But it's like the idea of these are relationships. These are things that are formed and bonds between people. And that's how like characters come out of that. And that's why you get good, interesting characters and good, interesting representation from these games that take that care in their characters. Yeah. Now, I do remember in Dragon Age Origins, if you do romance Morrigan, it puts the uh, final DLC of the game into a much... Uh, Oh, it's so it becomes good. so much better if if she was your romance option. What's it called? It's Witch a, Hunt, I think. Witch Hunt, yeah. yeah. And that a little on the nose, but <laughs> yeah, a little bit, just a little bit. But uh, you could tell that was written for uh, someone who had romanced Morgan. Yeah, and not only does it set up not just like Dragon Age two, but Dragon Age Inquisition as well. But it's, I think it was one of the earlier ideas that you saw of Bioware treating that series as like an anthology where these characters are going to evolve and those choices can carry over in cool, interesting ways. And, um, <laughs> I used to give, so my co-host at Normandy FM, uh, Kenneth Shepard is, uh, a gay man. And I used to give him crap because when we got to the end of playing dragon age origins, uh, he was having to make the choice that you have to make, which is you can get out of dying to kill the archdemon if you do the demonic ritual with Morgan, which involves sleeping with Morgan. And so I made an <laughs> oh, image oh, of the guy sweating and looking at two buttons, and it was like, <laughs> have sex with a woman and die. <laughs> like, <that's... laughs> you know, that, that kind of um, reminds me of uh, they, handled this, <laughs> they handled this terribly. Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Mm-hmm. You can be oh, you can be gay God, throughout the entire right. game until oh, the final DLC. God. Yeah. And then you have to marry a member of the opposite sex so you have a child because yeah, so the bloodline because it's not blood Greek mythology and you can't just find someone on the doorstep. Like people dump their babies all, all the gods all they did was dump their babies. You can't yeah. adopt, you have to have it by blood, I suppose. Right. Yeah, this is a series with uh, you know, aliens and devices that can control minds but but we have to we have to make sure the bloodline can continue in a scientific manner uh, I don't, and they I don't make know. a <laughs> they make a point in these newer games in origins odyssey and valhalla and i i think they went back and like changed something about that i can't remember what it yeah. was i haven't gone back and played it myself i know that there was a big outcry and that there was there a was. change that happened but that series had gone out of its way prior to that to set up that, okay, we're past the whole Ezio is the descendant mm-hmm. or, or um, Desmond is the descendant yeah. of Ezio. And so that's why he can see all this stuff. Like they, they basically got to the point where their PlayStation, essentially, you know, the Abstergo game console or whatever could be used <laughs> and anyone could explore the genetic material yeah, of anyone. So long think, as they had the right items. I think as of Valhalla, as long as they have DNA from the person, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Anybody can yeah. use it. And you would think they just write that in because otherwise Odyssey, I loved Odyssey because you could just yeah. roam around as Cassandra and be yeah. yep. an absolute disaster of a Xena. And it was <laughs> such a, like it was the Xena RPG that never got made. Exactly. And I loved it for that. But they more dropped than, the ball honestly, more so than hard. <laughs> yeah. End. I would yeah. give a shout out, like just to wrap up here, I want to give a shout out to Hades. I think that, that was great mm-hmm. uh thanatos come on he's a mess uh what's her name meg of course like and i love the fact that you you just you're with both of them who cares we're greek gods we don't give a damn all we do is sleep with each other and it's just uh thanatos you stole my yeah. heart and killed it <laughs> yeah one and uh, wants to be your friend mm-hmm. 
One thing I do want to mention, though, is that there is uh, a subset of the LGBT plus community that never gets any representation in any games, and they really should, mm-hmm. are uh, asexual people. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I have several ace friends, and they don't get rep- representation in anything, much less video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've... I can think I, I can't even name them, but maybe one or two characters that were that I would say, okay, I'm pretty sure they're ace. But you're right about representation, like outright, outright representation isn't there. It's not like you can romance certain characters. You know what? I think uh, Dusa might be a good example from Hades. It's like yeah. uh, she says, I'm not really well, interested. But I- you know, you're 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 right. But it's it's a case of that stuff is still something that like we're we're all learning on yeah and part of that is like i you know not to say that we're starting a revolution in the games industry or anything but <laughs> hell yes we are it, it is a lot of like older i think older writers and older designers and stuff having to either learn and adapt with the times or for new voices to enter yeah. into the writer's room and i'll right. say it companies like like bioware um like you know, many other rpg developers uh you are starting to see more of those voices speak up and more of those voices get involved and really like that's not going to be the balm at the end of the day that's not the silver bullet and as we've seen in headlines recently there's still a lot of work to be done just in getting people in the door and feeling welcome and safe and included there too yeah that's a problem it is about like being willing to make space for for more people to get in and say things because that's that's how you end up with good representation and good stories because a lot of these characters that we've mentioned in this section are some of my favorite characters in RPGs over the last decade. And that's a, there's a good reason for that is because they're well-written, interesting characters. And the more we include more of that and the more people that feel included when we play these games, the better it is for everybody. So inclusion doesn't hurt anybody. Exactly. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I come from a time when things were a lot more conservative in terms of expressing yourself, and I'm glad to see that it's it's changing. You know, things change, and mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. And the more you see, the better it is, because it's like, I, I'm just not the kind of person who can really, who ca- can really care about what gender, sexuality, what anyone identifies as. And of course, I care to the extent that I understand these people go through a lot of hardship. They Their laws are terrible. The murder rates are absolutely obscene for trans people, especially trans women of color. But someone comes up to me and says, hello, and if they decide to real, I'm I'm trans, how are you? And it's just like, oh, cool. Uh, what do you want for dinner? I just, <laughs> it's just how do <laughs> yeah. you spend the energy to care what gender someone is? <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. the fact that it's just, I always say that we live in a very annoying time where everything's always being bombarded at you and yelling at you. And it's just, there's so much noise, but that's a good sign because it means things are changing. When I was younger, again, say in the aughts, you just, you didn't have this kind of strife. You didn't have this kind of upheaval. You didn't have people, it, it was still very much an era of, oh, well, if you show feelings, you're a pussy. You know, it's just no one was really talking about that. I look back at old episodes of wrestling, say Raw, for example, in the 90s and seeing how uh, people just holding up signs that say, like, I don't know, Steve Austin is a homo. And it's just this is stuff that people used to do back then. I look at it now and it's like 
that is absolutely appalling. And I'm ashamed to say that when I was, you know, that age, just kind of watching TV and the, I didn't give it any thought. Mm-hmm. And now people are thinking about it and it's disruptive and it's noisy and it's annoying, but that's good. We need that change. We need that disruption. It's just a matter of, okay, well, I hope things settle down again sometime soon. God knows when, but things, we have a different outlook now and it is keeps on changing. And I think it's going to keep on changing for the better, but I might just be too optimistic for my own good. Well, you're, you're right that, uh, you know, we need to be annoying about it and we need to be loud about it because the second we go quiet, mm-hmm. uh, oh, absolutely. We're just going to disappear again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not to put a hugely dramatic spin on it, I'm going to go do that anyway. Um, <laughs> I've talked many times in the past about my grandfather being a Holocaust survivor. And I've heard all the time about, oh, you Jews never shut about with the Holocaust. He never stopped, blah, blah, blah. If we stop, they will mm-hmm. take us, they will take that one second of silence to say, this shit never happened. This, how could you fit that many people in a gas yeah. chamber? And they will, yeah. cause so, so of course I'm going to yell back and say, no, you stupid morons. You're telling me my ancestors yeah. decided to get in a pile and burn themselves, you dumbass. Mm. No, you got to be, you, you got to make a sound because nice conversation, as much as I hate to say it, doesn't get anywhere. You have to, uh, sometimes you have to rattle the cage mm-hmm. a bit. What can I say? Mm-hmm. This has been yeah. Revolutionary Hour by Actually the Blood God. <laughs> no, no gamers, Valexia has been, gamers rise up. <laughs> gamers rise up. Valexia, it's been really, really great having you on the show. This was a great topic. Did it's you want to promote anything there. at all or, or anything like well, that? I don't have a whole lot to promote right now. Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, I don't really have much on there, but uh, it's at Valexia Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I'm not not too active there. I don't really have too many followers, but sometimes it's fun to just scream into the void. And uh, <laughs> yes, I know that well. Yeah, I do have several projects in the works, and uh, that'll give me more of a reason to uh, post there more often. So heck yeah, yeah, you know, check it out, and uh, maybe I'll have something exciting to uh, to say soon. I think you absolutely will, and you're extremely active on the Discord. So uh, yeah, come on and. Uh, Hang out with us. I think we have a nice Discord. I'm one of the mods as well, so, you know, if you come, uh, behave. (laughs) (laughs) You got the meter stick out. All right, so that's it for the main topic for today. We are going to move on to Nadia's Nostalgia Nook. Don't go away. Okay, we are back with Nadia's Nostalgia Nook, and oh, goodness gracious me, I was just thinking about the time. <laughs> this oh, is how my, all my bad stories start. I was thinking about the time. Uh, I was in grade <laughs> 7. For some reason, I'm still trying to figure this out to, my, to this day, because I don't, I don't understand this. I think I was put in the problem kids class. I was not a problem kid. I swear to God, mm-hmm. I was a very... Mm-hmm. Sure. My mother, my mother was very strict, <laughs> but I was very good at egging people on, like you know, from the background, like a, I've always liked stupid jokes and, and, you know, I could not be a teacher because the first thing a kid's going to do mm-hmm. is say, oh, titties, and I'm going to laugh and then I can't be their teacher anymore. <laughs> so I was in the, the bad kid class for whatever reason and there was a really, really smart friend I had named Yoni and he was just a brilliant writer, like was like 10 years above his skill level for writing and he penned what I call to this day the greatest fan fiction ever wrote. And I don't remember the name of the fanfiction. All I remember is that it starts with Hulk Hogan's grandmother getting killed. And then Hulk Hogan <laughs> goes on a revenge plot and he recruits like Pac-Man and uh, the Super Mario Brothers and just all these characters to go on this revenge quest and they fight D 
demon toilets. And then the thing I remember distinctly most is that uh, Mega Man killed Megavolt from Darkwing Duck by backing him into a pail of water. But he was holding on to Megavolt at the same time, so he died too. And it just sacrificed goes, his life. Sacrificed to take his life. Pew, pew, pew. And it goes on and on. Finally, the world ends because it can't really take the the the, the force of this, this war. Homestuck? Did did your friend write Homestuck? I, I'm wondering about that now when you put it that way. But there was a moral. I don't know if Homestuck had a moral. Um, the moral is don't kill somebody's grandmother or the world will end. And that was the greatest okay, fanfiction yeah, ever fair. written. Yeah. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Like, no, where, I was. Where's the book deal at? <laughs> I was like not good at anything at this point in school except for writing and reading. And I mm-hmm. thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever read. And I was so mad I hadn't written it myself. But I was writing it like a little fantasy story of my own. But yeah, that was pretty awesome. And also. I just liked having a friend who was into the, the video games and pop culture and stuff because believe oh, it or course, not, yeah. like it wasn't a big thing when I was that age, especially for girls. So mm-hmm. I could understand mm-hmm. the artistry of Mega Man killing Megavolt by, by pushing him to some water. See, mm-hmm. that was brilliant. I'm so glad I got to read that passage. So I'm always nostalgic for good fan fiction and God knows back then at my age people didn't write fan fiction so that was like maybe the only example i ever know of someone else doing this horrible dirty thing and i appreciate that moment in my life and that was nostalgia not just nostalgia nook great i mean thanks for coming i wrote i wrote fan fiction when i was younger none of it's published you'll never find it where so what was what was like your your favorite you know I franchise think, mm, so a lot of them, I, I wrote like a series of comics when I was younger that starred the Chocobo from Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon. Aww. And it was it was him kind of mixed with Goku. And okay. he would just keep powering up and taking on more like Final Fantasy characters. Because I was, I was weird. I never played the Final Fantasies until I was older. But mm-hmm. I had both Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon 2, I think it was, and Chocobo Racing. So I knew. You like, knew all about the Chocobos. Chocobo. Yeah, I knew all the monsters and stuff of Final Fantasy from a young age, and I loved them. Uh, Chocobo Racing, I'm so excited for the new Chocobo Racing. I am I no too. Idea. Like when I play Final uh, Fantasy, I am all f- 14. I have generations of of great racing Chocobos. Mm-hmm. You'll never beat me. Actually, Alpha shows up, or that particular Chocobo from Dungeon shows up in Final Fantasy 14. Mm-hmm. So you have to play for that reason. Oh, see, I do. That's that's the reason I got to start. Yeah. yeah, no, I loved Final Fantasy, and then eventually got into other series and then just kind of dropped it all together. But uh, I've, I've had the itch every now and then when, when I play something that I really like and feel like I want to continue it in some way. So who knows, maybe I'll cave or maybe I have caved already. We don't know. And there's work out there under a pseudonym, but you'll never know. (laughs) It's under Moosey C. (laughs) They never saw it coming. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Fan fiction is fun. Something I wrote, at oneup.com a long time ago and I actually might rewrite it sometime kind of update it for us modern enlightened people I talked to people and they told me about the fan fictions they wrote as kids and I collected the best like stories from that and there's my two of my favorites number one the guy who basically novelized all of Final Fantasy 7 and claimed it his own and got an A (laughs) (laughs) because his teacher probably thought he was like wow this is really cool sci-fi for your age that's very nice and I have another friend who that's um, my guy right there. <laughs> Big fan of him. <laughs> uh, you remember the nineties, the whole Bobbit thing, right? I don't, the, the guy Bob. who got his penis cut off by the, Oh, I thought you were talking about the Bobbit. Uh, that was very different. <laughs> 
not the Hobbit, the, the Bobbit trial. No, I was I was thinking the Bop it, like the Bop oh, it. Oh, Bop it, turn it, it, twist it, pull it, cut it off, cut yeah. it off, throw it out a window. <laughs> anyway, that ha- oh that one, that one. Oh y- yeah. yes, okay, yeah, okay, I'm on board again. Okay, well, strangely enough, that also involved the Bop it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the show's already gone to hell. <laughs> but a friend of mine said that they wrote a fan fiction where Mario got his penis cut off by Bobbit, and they said they were so embarrassed by the fan fiction that they snuck out at night and threw it in a dumpster. You can't you, you can't just casually get rid of it, you know, like throw it in with some old trash, like lift up nope, some old trash nope. and tuck it in. No, you have to make sure you have to know it's gone. You got to light that trash on fire. And you sneak out at night to do it. <laughs> That's mm-hmm, part. Mm-hmm. No one can see you. Not even God, because the light's not on. The light's not on. God can't see you in the exactly. dark. He's, uh, he's got very, very bad night vision. People don't know that. Well, one of one of my this was a while back it was during quarantine or something but i was on one of like the mini zoom calls that have happened in quarantine and all that and someone was telling me that they'd given up drinking for lent and they uh they were having trouble they were like oh i just really want a beer tonight and me being the great influence that i am i was like you can drink right now and they were like what i was like yeah you're inside god can't see you there's a roof (laughs) over your head that's just how it works (laughs) only roofs can block the all-knowing gaze of god (laughs) <laughs> well this has been a naughtiest nostalgia nook that went off the rails but that is probably the proper way of things this is what happens when cat's not here no one's here to rein us in <laughs> all right let's move on to random encounters that is a rundown of all the news First of all, uh, Legends Arceus uh, showed us Voltorb, the... He's Sween. He's Sween. He's Sween, yeah. Uh, he's made of wood. He's very cute. Did you see the stop motion animation they put out with it? Yes. Oh, it's so adorable. Aww. Like I, I just like Pokemon doing cute things and being pals and hanging out together. Like me too. It's it's just a it's a good time every time. So I I like that they did that with this one because the previous Hisui variant one they did was some weird found footage horror. That film. was great. Holy shit! And I was into that. It was it was cool. And the Pokemon Company is getting a little weird. I like it when when Nintendo franchises and Nintendo properties Same. get a little weird, but pokemon company was getting extra weird so i was like yeah yeah all right and this was a cool way of then you know not doing that thing again but now we have a little stop motion thing where voltorb just wants some berries and then electrocutes everybody (laughs) (laughs) oh and that's why i love pokemon so very very much uh this is an item that's more in cat's domain but i'm gonna have to step in here uh Takanobu Terada, I mispronounced that, I apologize, producer of the Super Robot Wars series, has apparently he left BB Studio back in August. So he's still working on the studio as uh, he's still working on the on the Super Robot Wars series as a supervisor, so he's not going anywhere, but uh, he's apparently not with the company anymore. You doing freelance stuff. Uh, do you like Super mm-hmm. Robot Wars? I forget. I it's one that I've been told I would like. I feel like I would need to watch a lot more Gundam to be into it yeah. because it seems like at its core, it is a very Gundam heavy series with then other, you know, Macross and some of the other ones. So I would need to refresh. My mech stuff is more like tends towards the things that mecha files do not like. So I like even Evangel- well, Evangelion is kind of universal, but I, you know, I like the designs of Code Geass and some of the more 
out there robot designs though mm-hmm. i don't know recently i've been into the clunky robots and all that so maybe i'll give some gundam a shot don't tell cat that i can't can't have oh, that okay. already committed to final fantasy 14 i can't commit to gundam too don't don't listen to this episode cat you've been warned <laughs> we're hoping the cat's not listening to this episode <laughs> <laughs> one thing actually i think you're really into here is persona 4 arena ultimax is coming to yeah. pc switch stuff yeah, this is this is huge. All right. So, I mean, Arc System Works has been on a tear of updating a lot of their old games. So as SNK, I feel like a lot of the fighting game developers are seeing that there is an audience that is hungry for this stuff. The fighting game community has actually largely moved on to PC mm, as a platform because it allows so much openness for that stuff. It's also where like Fightcade and stuff is. So yeah. that's like rollback is available through fightcade for old games there are a lot of people playing like capcom versus snk2 right now on rollback netcode and it rules because of that a lot of companies have been realizing they can make some extra cash by going back and so arc system works had announced at ceo that they were going to put rollback into blazblue central fiction and blazblue cross tag so they were already kind of updating their old stuff but this is atlas getting out here saying we're putting persona 4 arena ultimax which is I got into this through Blazblue cross tag because that had some of the characters yeah, from right. arena in it. And I loved playing as the persona characters in that game, uh, specifically the persona three characters. And so I'm very, very excited for this. There is a lingering question that everyone has, which is, is it going to have rollback net code, right. which if you are not familiar with it, the shorthand version is that rollback net code is just kind of better than <laughs> delay based net code. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into a really long explanation of it, but just it is generally considered better if your game is built well for it. Right. And so they've also said that this is going to be version, I think, 2.5, which is it, it was never released on consoles or anything like that. So this is a new version of the game. I don't think that means anything content wise. Mm-hmm. It might mean something balance wise. That's what I thinking. Um, mechanics wise, maybe, but... Uh, I believe it's also got all the DLC packed in. So you're going to have Adachi and all the characters like that in there as well. So uh, it's it's very exciting. I This is a game that every time I have played it, I've been like, this is honestly not only a really, really fun Arc System Works game, but a very approachable Arc System Works game. And it's very easy to become competent and do cool things yeah. in it at a very rapid pace and i feel like that's one of the biggest barriers to any fighting game is i agree getting from the point where you're just mashing jab and hoping you hit something to doing something cool and i think a lot of games like tekken and persona 4 arena do a good job of making you feel like you're doing cool things right off the get-go and uh i i hope it has the net code to back it up because we are still in a pandemic type situation and even then when we're not like, especially for fighting games, rollback net code means communities can thrive longer because they're not limited by distance and geography and having people in your region that are competing and playing. Right. You can play against people that are in a larger region and practice in a larger scale and even host online tournaments like we've seen uh, during the course of the pandemic. So hopefully that's the case. Uh, we don't know yet, though. So, well, it's a pretty exciting release uh, either way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are some people that were upset. It wasn't like a Persona 4 port to Switch or whatever. There's still many months left to come of this Persona anniversary celebration they're doing. I think this one made sense for the format in which it was revealed, which which was like the pre-show at the Game Awards. 
And it's it's a cool thing. This was absolutely not something I expected was going to happen, especially not as fast as it did. So and yeah, maybe if it does well, maybe I don't think we get a Persona 5 arena, but it would be cool to see them maybe do a DLC character or two yeah. and bring Joker and like Makoto into this game. That'd be, awesome. That'd be fun. What the hell is Clockwork Aquario? Apparently it steals a world record for the most delayed game from Duke, from Duke Nukem forever. Yeah, so this was a story that popped onto my radar today, actually, because I had not heard of this game. But Clockwork Aquario is it, it finally is out in Europe, but it was essentially an abandoned platformer uh, that took the record for most delayed game from Duke Nukem Forever. Wow. Uh, at 30 years. So I think from 1991 to 2021. So uh, it was originally developed for the arcade market, uh, but Sega abandoned it and it kind of bounced around in various different places. Um, it, it was essentially forgotten. And then uh, I'm going to butcher the names of this, but in in games, I N I N games and strictly limited secured the rights back in 2019 and brought on a lot of the original development team, which includes uh wonder boy creator Ryu Ryu Ryuichi Nishizawa, uh, creator of the wonder boy series to finish it out and get it released. So yeah, that's, awesome. that's like, yeah, that's, cool that it's out and it exists and it looks kind of neat like i'm just looking at images and stuff of it and it looks like it's got a look so cool good for them at least it visually it looks better than duke nukem forever so you know <laughs> that's not too hard when <laughs> i cleared the bar i think i grew up in the era of vaporware because it was so easy for things to get lost when the internet was still kind of you know stumbling along mm -hmm. for me the real big first this is coming, I swear to God, media event was Chinese democracy from Guns N' Roses. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then it came and I was like, I, it's a I rock band song. <laughs> <laughs> the album has a couple of good songs on it, but it's not exactly worth. What was it like 10 years or something? And thinking back a 10 year delay, it feels like nothing anymore. Yeah, it's weirdness axel rose what good are you old axel rose oh man did i i love guns and roses so much it's such a mess hmm. analog pocket orders are opening back up but will cost more yeah this one dropped today uh analog pocket so anyone who has pre-ordered an analog pocket which is the super high powered yeah. uh handheld that can do game boy game boy advance Cats games that sort one, of thing. i think uh those are shipping on next week and they're saying that on december 14th orders are going to open back up at 8 a.m pacific time and they're basically taking a similar structure to the play date where it's first come first serve and it will be stratified out into three different groups for shipping so if you get in that group a you're going to get yours in q1 2022 if you get in group b q4 2022 and then if you're in Group C, you're waiting until 2023. Yeah. So I have a feeling there might be a rush like from people like me who know they want to get a pocket at some point, but we're kind of waiting. Now I'm like, well, should probably get a pocket sooner rather than later. <laughs> so, uh, But they've also said that due to the cost of components going up because of the situation, you know, pandemic shortages and all that. Again, same thing that Playdate ran into. Uh they are having to up the price of the handheld to, I believe it's, I'm double checking it right now. 
uh, $219 for the handheld, which is a lot. lot It is a lot. Yeah. That being said, I, you know, I love my Game Boy Advance SP, but I've been looking for a replacement for a while. So So that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm probably going to go that route. Uh, And I think it's a cool looking piece of hardware. It's, you know, it's got the element of being both a good retro system and also just being a boutique electronic, it looks very nice. It looks cool. It's got a dock that you can HDMI into a TV. Right. With, so it's really awesome. Comes with a lot of nice features and stuff that I think altogether make it a pretty good package. I've heard good things about analog stuff in the past. So, well, that's going to be a little bit longer. So what are you playing for now? What am I playing right now? So I'll start with the short, the short one. <laughs> Thank you. I played some Halo Infinite campaign. Oh, yeah. How is uh, it? I'm still very early. Oh, okay. Uh, my takeaway so far is that I absolutely love bonking grunts on the head with fusion coils. Nothing has ever been more fun in the Halo series than grappling a fusion coil and slamming somebody in the head with it. Oh, my God. Uh, it's it's hilarious. They just put these explosive barrels everywhere and then give Master Chief an unlimited use grapple shot that you can just like grab things and throw them with. And I barely use guns anymore because why would why I would when I, I can have throw barrels yeah. like Donkey Kong? Yeah, it's I think that's interesting. I think the open world stuff is also pretty good and makes sense given, you know, the first, if you play the first game, it practically feels like an open world game from how big and and sprawling those levels are. And they kind of got away from that as you got into four and five. So I'm glad it's back to that in a way. Um, I'm kind of up and down on some of the open world, like Ubisofty elements of it. But the, the main part that's falling short for me right now is actually the story. Uh, and I, I've heard that's supposed to get better as it goes on, but at the beginning, it kind of drops you in, in media rest and doesn't really explain a lot. And also I can't remember anything that happened in five because I really didn't like five. So, uh, it's, it's not grabbing me with the story yet. I'm kind of just sitting there like master chief, dude, get over Cortana. My guy, (laughs) it's, it's been years. You gotta, you gotta move on. So he was, uh, see, I don't know a whole lot about Alexa, about like, you know, um, halo lore, but he was in love with Alexa, right? Like Amazon. Yes. Yeah. So he had an AI named Cortana that was basically implanted in him. So in, in games one and two Cortana is, and three for some bits of it, but that's complicated. Uh, she basically exists between his brain and his suit and is like kind of in between the neural connection there. So she's kind of in his head the whole time and uh, they develop a bond, they grow close. And then in four Cortana sacrifices herself uh, for chief. And then in five, she comes back, but she's become an authoritarian AI who's like the only way to stop evil in the galaxy is to destroy humanity, you know, very like Reapers yeah. from Mass Effect type thing uh, or really like war games. Yeah, <laughs> Which, basically. Shout outs to war games. But uh, it's I I personally feel like the master chief Cortana dynamic is incredibly played out, but I also don't know where you take this character if not in that direction yeah, because master chief by himself is not a character really like he, I like some of the times when he's like, 
that you have this pilot dude who's just palling around with him the whole time is like, oh, what do you mean? We're going to fly into the enemy base. It's a terrible idea. And the master, you only have one bullet, Master Chief. What are you going to do? And, and he's just like, it's enough. And then goes <laughs> out and like Jason Bourne's all these covenant and just like murders all of them. And I like that. That's, That's pretty fun. Cool. Yeah, I think if they played that up more, I'd be enjoying it. But it just feels they they brought in a new Cortana alike character as well as bringing in story beats about Cortana and what has happened to Cortana in the time between the end of five and now. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's not doing it when for Cortana's me. So. Not on this day, when Cortana's not on the screen, everyone should ask, where's Cortana? Where's Cortana? Yeah. yeah. The one that's really caught my attention is a game that has been on my radar for a while. And I finally picked up It's called buried stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a mystery visual novel where you are playing as one of five contestants in a Korean pop show. That's kind of this, you know, last chance American idol. So all these people that have for whatever reason, not really made it in the idol industry. And this is their one big shot to see who can make it and, and get their second wind in the industry. Uh, And so they all come in with a lot of emotional baggage. Uh, And all of that comes to a head because literally the ceiling falls in like the, the building that the reality show is taking place in caves in and the audience all gets out safe, but the five contestants plus one of the floor directors are trapped inside. Right. And the whole thing kind of becomes about you're dealing with a lot of tensions between the characters. Like there's one character who is a former idol who gets a lot of shit because she has panic attacks. Yeah. And, they're like, oh, how she's supposed to handle being an idol if if she gets panic attacks. And another guy used to have a violent past in school. And so they're like, oh, he's just he's a bad boy, but not in the way we all like. He's just a bad. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, another one's like the silver spoon character and your character, the one that you play, uh, do Yoon, is a the betrayer because he entered the competition as part of his band, but he was way more popular than any other member Mm, of his band. Right. And so he had the option at one point and decided to leave them behind and compete on his own. And so he's the betrayer and Judas, it it gets into this idea of like all their lives are being scripted for consumption. And there's a social media, there's a Twitter, like a full on Twitter feed. And when I say full on Twitter feed, I mean, like timeline that you can scroll as wow. you're playing through the game that you can reply to people on and get like clues from that's crazy but also you get to see all the ways that people are responding you can set up messages that will post at certain times and people will respond to them and you'll be like oh i tried to be sympathetic on twitter and people thought i was just being disingenuous and now they all hate me more and the whole time the reality votes are still happening so even as you're in this life and death situation wow people are still playing the popularity game and apparently at some point it's supposed to pivot into a death game type scenario. There's already been one murder. That's like the part of Matt right now is that somebody has been murdered and they're trying to figure out why and who did it and who could have gotten away with it and yada, yada. But just a really inventive, interesting visual novel that I haven't seen talked about much. And I think it's because it's from a studio that people aren't familiar with. It's not like Danganronpa or Phoenix, Wright Where, it's got the backing of Spike Chunsoft or Capcom or something like that. This is from Line Games, and they it, it, it's a really, really good visual novel. And if you, like me, came out of the whole Danganronpa decadence thing and wanted some more vi- mystery visual novel in your life, uh, 
this is scratching the itch. It's it's really quite good. So buried it, stars, buried stars. Good. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah, it's a good name too. I like. I like it. At first, I was like, "What?" It's kind of a double entendre because the name of the reality show is buried stars yeah. because they're like they have a chance to rise back up, but then they get buried under rubble. It's it's fun. It's it's good. When he told me the ceiling fell, and I thought they're going to be isekai or something. <laughs> yeah, and now, <laughs> to a now they're just novel. in a fantasy world. Yeah. <laughs> I know where this was going. Oh, maybe not. And speaking of not knowing where things are going, so I am, I think most, 75% of the way through Endwalker, I'm just kind of plowing through, getting the main story done before someone blows it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably going to talk about it in a lot more detail for the next episode of Charlene Dropouts, which should post on Wednesday. Because, man, it, it, shit's wild. Like, I was not predicting most of what went on. And... It's just, we'll, we'll put it this way. As I said on the show, uh, I when I got to interview uh, Yoshida back in mm-hmm. uh, the preview, I asked him just because I could, what's, what inspiration, what is your media inspiration for Andwalker? And he said, Interstellar and Christopher Nolan in general. And huh. I'm like, you can't see me, listener. I'm nodding very hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is all I'll get into. It's all just... I'm not saying like, oh my God, they pulled us out of their ass to throw us off the trail. I'm saying, okay, this all comes together in that weird anime magic way. But the point is, if you can believe it from a weird anime magic perspective, then you have succeeded as far as I'm concerned. So I'm glad it comes off as genuine, but it's a really, really fantastic expansion. Uh, so far, even better than Shadowbringer, which it was just top tier. Wow. Yeah. And I haven't really followed any of the reviews or anything like that just to risk spoilers. So I don't know what people think in general, but I'm pretty sure the response is good. Yeah. Everyone I've seen on social media has just been loving it. And granted, a lot of them are still working through it, but it 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 seems like what people wanted out of this expansion and also seems like it's I believe it's supposed to be kind of the end of an arc for it's, 14. Yeah. And it feels like it's wrapping up very well. So it's definitely like from where I am right now, it definitely feels like it's wrapping up well. And it is, yes, mm-hmm. an arc that's been kind of 10 years in the making of uh, Heideland versus Zodiac. So they're just kind of bringing that to a conclusion and then we're moving on to God knows where, but there's already been a million possibilities presented for where we go next. So I'm really excited to see where the game goes. And I think, can't wait to talk about it more on Charlie and Dropouts. But for now, this has been a long episode, so I think I'm about it's ready to wrap it up. Episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here like I was supposed to pick up my dinner at a restaurant like 15 minutes ago. Uh, so we're going to figure out how that goes when we get there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, we will. We will Because I'm, I'm hungry too, but I'm just getting some microwave <laughs> garbage out of the, the freezer or something. I can't be bothered to order anything. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you are with us. Um, I hope you like the podcast. I'm sure you do. If you are actually with us, please consider supporting us. If you're not already at patreon.com forward slash blood God pod, uh, you can get early and or exclusive access to tons of extra special content at the five and $10 level, including recently our ranking of the animated cowboy bebop episodes. Uh, it's live action counterpart has been canceled at the time of this. Uh... Yeah. You hate to see it. Netflix, Netflix <sighs> getting so good at canceling their shows. Now they're just like, they smell a whiff of bad reception. Just it's out behind the barn. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not exactly going to see, say I was here like standing for this show. I, I had oh, no. no opinion no. whatsoever. I didn't see it, but I saw people who said, Hey, it's okay. It's just different. But 
I think that I think people would have warmed up if they had that chance to have another season, but I don't think they're going to have that chance ever again. Sorry, Cowboy Bebop. You really did deserve better, I think. Yeah. After American Vandal, I just don't trust Netflix with anything good anymore. That's kind of the thing. I find a lot of Netflix shows are eh, middle tier, so I always worry when they do something. Mm -hmm. But uh, rest in peace. See you, Space Cowboy, I guess is appropriate (laughs) here. And good God, we are all going to carry that weight. Thank you so very much for listening. And until next time, for Eric, myself, our special guest, Alexia, and Phantom Cat, happy adventuring. to be my